Hi, this is John Cook, CTO and founder at Dataception, and you're listening to Experiencing Data with Brian T. O'Neill. You're now Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Welcome back to Experiencing Data. This is Brian T. O'Neill. Today, I've got John Cook on the line, CTO and founder at Dataception. John, how are you? Great. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Brian. Glad yeah. to be on the show. Yeah. So I've been seeing your, your material pop up on LinkedIn. A lot of talk about uh, data products and this kind of thing. And we had some, I think we had some shared beliefs and, and all of that. So I kind of wanted to dig in there and, and see what your take is on, on this whole space. You come from a much more technical side of this. So we may have some different framings for things here, but I wanted to jump into that because a lot of the audience on my show are people that have technical backgrounds anyways. And so it's good to just get different perspectives here. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was what, what's a data product? <laughs> Since nobody knows, and we're all still kind of defining this word, it's not new, but there, I, I think there's different definitions for what we mean. And I'm, I'm collecting definitions instead of Star Wars figures. So no, well, that's, Star Wars figures sounds fun, but yeah. yeah. Um, product. So for me, I mean, I've been through this space for you know, about 20, 30 years, been in the data space 15 years, building platforms, building, solving business use cases, you know, working consultants and stuff. And for me, that it always comes down to fundamentally solving a business problem. I mean, I think that's that that's the core thing, core principle for me. If you're, not, if you're not solving the business problem, then you're really not, you're kind of out of the water. So for me, a product is first and foremost solving a business problem it's got to be something if i go and buy something i i buy something because i want to do something with it i've got a problem i need to solve i want to you know, do something with it secondly it's got to have a customer it's got to have someone actually who's willing to buy it to, to, to use it that sort of stuff I've been many pro programs where they've built these big kind of data platforms and data type of um, deliveries but there's no real customer involved so for me it's about something that specifically solves a business problem an analytic piece of analytics a data use case a, a pipeline data sets, dashboard, that type of stuff that solves a business use case and has a customer and has a, has a product lifecycle to it. So it's got a market, it's got a customer, it needs to be retired, it needs to be changed, that sort of stuff. So really for me, it's that, that's the core, the core for my mind. And when we talk about customers here, and I, I, I'm, this word, I remember when I had Marty Kagan on the show, he, he, he kind of cringed when we talked about using the word customer to talk to, say, the head of sales within your enterprise. He's like, that's not a customer. That's a stakeholder. A customer is someone that pays yeah. for some service <laughs> that your business provides. I think on this show, we kind of collectively use that term to mean a stakeholder here. You, you said they have to be someone that's willing to buy this thing. So does there have to be a transaction or do you, do you mean there just has to be something that's worth paying for? Like theoretically, even if it's like an internally used solution? Yeah, I think there's actually two angles to it. There's, there, there is actually generally, if I, you have a customer who wants to pay for it. So you think about a data-driven marketplace, and there's lots of them out there, and Snowflake have got one. Someone actually wants to pay for a, a data set, or wants to pay for a dashboard, and wants to pay for a piece of analytics. I worked with a, um, an HLS company earlier this year who actually are selling data sets on the marketplace. So you're absolutely right. From an internal perspective, if I'm delivering analytics for the head of sale, the CEO, a business line, and typically in my mind, it is, it is typically a business line, then that's, you're right, you could call it an internal customer, but there's no sort of 
transactional, you know, there's no money necessary changing hand unless you're talking about cross-charging models, which we probably don't want to go there. But really, it's that that, that business line wants to solve a particular problem. You want, and you get treated effectively in the same sort of way as a customer. They have a business problem. You you, you test something with them. You, you kind of go for the product kind of management piece with that rather than I think what a lot of people are doing is really sort of putting data sets onto, onto fabrics and meshes and all that kind of stuff and saying it's reusables, it's, it's componentized, it's operationalized. That's a product. It's like, well, no, it doesn't have the product management, the kind of that, that sort of customer interaction piece, which I think is actually really, really important part of the product. Let's talk about that for a second, because the, for someone that doesn't come from a product background, it's like, well, that's what we've been doing for 20 years. We build models, we build dashboards, we have some custom applications that are data-driven. So what's the difference here? Like, yeah, and of course there has to solve a business problem, yada, yada, I've been hearing that for 20 years. What's different when we talk about it as a product? Sure, so I think the first thing is, you know, what when most people in the data space talk about their kind of the artifacts and deliveries, they are talking about just the data. I think that's the first problem, right? Look at warehouses, lakes, and kind of the whole, the whole lineage of, of the data platforms of going back in you know, 20 years, it's just the data part of it. And I've, for me, I've been arguing quite a lot recently that actually the data is only a constituent part. The model, the analytics, the thing that actually delivers the business value, the thing that the business look at either via the visualization or a dashboard or whatever, the thing that actually makes the insight for the decision that's actually the product. The data is a part of that, or the source data and that kind of stuff, but it's an intermediate artifact. And I think that for me is a, is a huge distinction. And I know in the mesh world, this data is a product and a data product. And it's, they, for me, these are, unless they're actually, you're selling them or they are the final output that gets consumed by the business user, these are intermediate artifacts. So I think models, dashboards and stuff are more product aligned because they actually solve the problem. They actually give the value but it's actually how to package, how it's managed, how what the life cycle is around that as well, I think is, is super important. Got it. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of any definition that includes some type of deployment and use by some human being. <laughs> like that, that, there has, that, that's the end cycle, right? Because the idea of product is like a good that has been made theoretically for sale. And sometimes there is a like, here's a million dollars. The sales team wants this thing and they are literally kind of paying. It's funny money, but they're quote, paying the IT department to get this solution back. So sometimes they, there is actually a, a sale happening there in, in that regard. Uh, and I agree that there's, there's technical artifacts and outputs that are created along the way, but outputs don't equate to outcomes. Even well-designed services don't necessarily guarantee an outcome, but there does have to be some type of end-to-end experience that's included in that such that we, we can test it we can see it it can be used somehow even if the interface is very minimal because you don't need to look at a bunch of charts or whatever it may be that there's still some consumption that that needs to occur is that is that kind of what you're saying as well yeah absolutely so i think for me that if we take a step out of the, the data and analytics world and into kind of the more classic enterprise software world right you're building an enterprise solution that built dozens of trading systems and e-commerce systems all this kind of stuff these are all decomposed. They have customers, actual customers most of the time, either internal or external. They have people using them. The whole thing is regarded as, almost as, as the product. You know, and the, and the microservices and the components aren't regarded as individual products. You don't, we don't call them micro products, do we, for instance? And effectively, the, the, the whole wave around data products and data as a product is much closer to what the, the microservices kind of paradigm is. It's really just an overlay of that. But for some reason, we call that a data product, but a microservice isn't a micro product. So for me, that's that's the important thing. When you're building, you know, enterprise software, you have a bunch of users, you have a business, you know, business problem you need to solve, and you deliver the whole thing to solve the problem, and you decompose that down to individual components, and you deliver those incrementally and with agile and all that kind of stuff. 
that's the same paradigm we have in the data space, but yet we still think a data set is a, is a, is a product. So I guess that's the way I, I think about it. I like the product perspective too. If, if, if there's, again, if there's supposed to be some consumption here and you're, you're not just a technical team that is providing it to some other team who is then therefore going to productize it or operationalize it. And maybe there is a software team that will really handle that part of it. But I think I, the, the vibe I get from my clients and just people I talk to is that no, like we're the, we're the last, we are the only group that is providing dashboards, applications, things like this when a, an internal customer comes to us, they are the end-to-end -end team that's supposed to be delivering this to them. So I'm like, well, then you can do it with this very technical data-oriented mindset, or you can think of it as a product where it doesn't matter what we do if no one uses it. So if we take that mindset, then like consumption and use has to be part of our mantra about what we're doing here, or else it doesn't matter unless you just want to check the box and say, well, I gave you what you asked for. And if you don't like it, that's that's not my problem. I think that's been that that mentality is kind of changing because you're not going to have a job for a long time if you if you're just taking Absolutely. that, like, I, you know, I gave you the model. I don't know how it's going to be used. I don't know where you whatever. Like I did my part. It works. It's predictive. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah, indeed. I mean, if you took that, if, if you transpose that into the startup world, you'd be out of the water in day one, right? right. <laughs> Building a product that no one wants, no one uses, no, that kind of stuff. And it's, I often see this a lot in, um, you know, on, on LinkedIn and other kind of social media. We've built this thing and it's, it, yeah, we, we're trying to find a use case for it. We're trying to, you know, trying to, a solution looking for a problem. And you see that a lot around the definitions of data products, you know, it must, you know, you, it's got to have multiple use cases. It's got to have reuse. It's got to have all these kinds of things. Well, actually, first and foremost, it's got to solve a problem. Without all that, if you're, if you're building the, building a data set or whatever and you're finding trying to find use cases for it you've kind of gone the wrong way around you know it's, it's what the business asks for first because data just doesn't spontaneously you know um be produced it, if it's not solving the problem it's kind of useless so how do you think about this from a technical perspective i'm actually kind of taken off my thinking about my audience and asking questions for them i'm now i'm asking a question for brian here just to get your perspective on this but as a designer when i when i work with technical teams and, and I think about what the end-to-end -end solution is, but but also understanding, I, I know what I don't know about all the technical work that needs to happen. I've written plenty of code over the last 20 years to just know what I don't know in terms of all the architecture and the planning and, and how the data model is important and how that can have downstream impacts on the user experience piece. I, I get all that. How do we focus on making sure we solve solve the problem here when say the problem is fairly narrowly defined we have some kind of idea like okay we're probably we're going to need some screens and we're probably going to need a dashboard and maybe there's going to be some email notifications that get shot out and we kind of have some idea what that these artifacts are going to look like however in order to do even just that much of to deliver that much of a ui and user experience to call it a product the amount of plumbing required to power all of that is still a Mount Everest lift, even if it's just a, a walk around the park on the, the, the la, what I call the last mile where the humans in the loop enter the picture. And so the data people I know often say, well, we, we're not, we can't build all these one-off single purpose solutions. How do you not boil the ocean with the technology piece when you're trying to deliver on a very specific use case that will have business value, yet it, the perception is we need to have data governance and scale and speed and all the stuff that you may need in place just to deliver a small quote product at the end of it. How do you reconcile those two competing ideas there? I mean, I always see it like the design can help the architects and it can help the software and the data people because by understanding what people need to do and how they're going to want to use it, 
it informs how to build the technology piece instead of building it first, hoping and thinking about scalability and then finding out how people want or will use it and then having to go change really expensive stuff that's already been built, which nobody really wants to do. And no one wants to take credit for saying I built the wrong thing. But these these two things are very at odds when you need a lot of infrastructure and architecture in place. How do you think about that? So it's a great point. For me, it comes right back to kind of the, 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 the sort of one or two most common requirements I get from business people for the last 20 years, you know, fundamentally. Can I build in flexibility into the system fundamentally? Can I change my mind? Those are the two things that are, are front and center for me. I, I worked for a large bank when, and the risk officer said to me, I want to be able to touch and feel the data. And I'm like, what does that mean? Ew. <laughs> you know, it was like 200 terabytes of data. So what does that mean? Basically, it meant that he didn't really know what he wanted, but he knew what, what he wanted when he looked at it. And also the fact that the, it was doing risk for the whole bank, so it had all these visions and stuff. So you needed to have a lot of flexibility. You couldn't build one Uber data model that they, they were trying, which was a bit of a nightmare. So for me, if you, taking a step back to it, when you talk about you can't build like small independent deliveries for each of these use cases, I actually completely disagree with that. I think you absolutely can. And that's exactly the point of it, where, you know, if you think about, you know, the, the way the cloud has had impact on, on, you know, we don't build a lot of the stuff around cloud anymore. We just don't build it from scratch. It's like, you know, we don't, we don't generate ele electricity. We don't mill our own flour. You know, the, the clouds, uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of composable services, which I basically pull together to build my, my application, my product, whatever it is. We need to apply that, that thinking all the way through the stack fundamentally. So there's a lot of conversations about the modern data stack and modern data, you know, the modern data platform, this kind of stuff. For me, it's actually it's not that. It's about the modern data ecosystem. How do we have independent small engines, deliveries, pieces of software that have almost use case by use case, use shared services together, but we have we can have to do small incremental deliveries, we can change stuff together, we break the problem down rather than trying to put them into big central warehouses, central lakes, you know, you know, and kind of the sort of data mesh is sort of going down to that, but it actually needs to be a lot, a lot more than that. You know, fundamentally, the, the traditional thing around data is basically I need to put it into some kind of central model or some shared bunch of central models. That's almost my first thing to do. It's like, actually, it's, I think it's actually not. The idea is you need to be able to work with the business, have a process for them from decomposing the actual the business ask, which, you know, I, I produce something called a data product, product pyramid, which actually does that breaks that down to little functional components like a model here, some data services there, that type of stuff that can iterate and be, and be delivered incrementally and very much follow almost like the UX approach where you start with a, with a coarse growing product which you put in front of the business with the data and say, actually, is this, is this right? Is this, it doesn't have to be super accurate, but is this the right thing? Does it, they go, yes, we like that. And then you get more fine grain as you go forward. So actually, and the infrastructure needs to be able to support that. You need to be able to support different tech. You know, so it's not just one big database. You know, you see lots of, consolidations into kind of you know single stores and that type of stuff it's like actually if you break it down into individual technology components for, for the different use cases with shared services like cloud you actually get a much more flexible much more agile type infrastructure that can actually cope with change and actually can cope with a full life cycle and that's the other thing we, we talk about i'm thinking about doing a blog tomorrow around if you can't retire use cases on your data platform then it's legacy and it's that whole life cycle of it how do i actually have the small components to actually solve use cases can change stuff uh, with the businesses, especially with things like, you know, pandemics and kind of macroeconomic factors. And I can retire stuff really, really quickly. You know, it's, that to me is, is a complete mindset shift from kind of the centralized monolithic, you know, so let's just take the data and technology approach first. That for me is really the game-changing piece that we need to get onto. 
if I was to summarize that, I would, what I'm hearing is it's kind of a BS excuse if, if you think it's, it necessarily requires a giant technology effort even to solve a small problem that that's kind of old thinking. It's like, no, there are agile ways to do this such that you should be able to deliver some type of experience that then generates some kind of business outcome without boiling the ocean and, and, and thinking kind of legacy, so to speak. Is that, is that kind of a, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's trying to get away from that centralized approach where we, we try and push everything into a you know, centralized model, a centralized governance, centralized platform. So actually how do we break this down to individual, you know, how do we deliver the smallest piece of end to end business value quickly, efficiently, and how can we change that? And that's, that's kind of the sort of lean type approach to, to data and analytics really in my mind. Maybe you answered this already, but you, you had mentioned there's four characteristics of what a data product translate to. So I'll, I'm just going to read these so you don't feel like you have to regurgitate them from your article on this spot. But be targeted and specifically solve a business problem in an analytics context, i.e. it has a direct business requirement. Two, provide direct value to the business color, uh, customer. Three, not just be a data set unless it's actually sold, which you had kind of talked about. I'll insert asterisk here. I agree. I don't think a data product is a bundle of data that is sold to somebody because that suggests that like, oh, a human can digest, you know, 30,000 columns and 50 million rows of data. Like just here's the dump, like good luck. So I agree. It's it, sometimes that is the right delivery mechanism if your audience needs uh, that kind of thing, but often it's not. And D, have a product life cycle with direct business customer interaction dash feedback. What does that one mean? So that's the one that I wanted to ask you about. Have a product lifecycle with direct business customer interaction feedback. So yeah, the way, so again, the way I think about it, if you look at the article, the data product, you know, if you look at the components of each of those, each one of those solves a business problem. You know, from the very bottom of the pyramid, not the data bit of it, the data, what I call the data services, which is like your first one, you're just delivering data to the group. The first one could be a bunch of metrics. So show me the, um, the number of sales that happened. You know, something really simple that over the last three months. Show me what the cost of, of, of X is Y. Show me what the risk of Y. That, those are little metrics which would be individually delivered on their own engine potentially that actually give, give a, a business person that, that metric. So someone from sales can look at that. You know, you have to put it in a nice visualization or someone from finance or whatever would share that. So that is a, a, a nicely encapsulated piece of business value. It's, you know, it's not very complicated. It's, 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 it's part of a larger piece, but you can say, you can say to them. So, you, so, you know, sales and finance could argue about what that is. What's the, what's the cost? Is that, is that PL? Is it revenue? Is it, you know, they can bun file over it, but it's actually a business deliverable, you know, and that's the very lowest level. And then obviously, as you go up, you start talking about, you know, potentially forecasting models. You start talking about you know, propensity models. You start talking about all sorts of kind of value add on top of the data. You know, it's not just like doing a metric. It's like actually doing forecasting or bringing semantics in and that kind of stuff. And then at the very top, you talk about decisions, which is the decision the actual the business person actually wants, wants to make. These all have business interactions. And they all have actually have direct value to, to the business customer. You know, even though it might be the overall ask is basically I want to launch a new product in, in a particular sector and you break it down to a bunch of products that would want to put, um, support each other, bottom level might not be a, you know, the direct value that's for the, that decision, but that it still gives value to the customer. And the, the idea is that those can then be reused for other use cases. Other use cases, so cost of sales would be, you know, would be invaluable. What you don't want is basically to stick that all in the warehouse and then someone going, oh, I don't trust it. And I, I'm going to go and rebuild the um, rebuild the, the sales metric in five different areas and dashboards and all that sort of stuff, which I've seen so many times and happens in lakes as well. It's what you want is actually a business value, business interactive. Either business can actually look at it and go, yes, I recognize that and I trust it and that sort of stuff that gets reused across. So I guess that's that's kind of the, the main the main thrust of what you know of, of the idea. Let's talk about this data product pyramid for a second. So I, I'm just going to quickly 
summarize what stuck in my head after reading your article about this. What I thought I saw was, and I'm simplifying here, was basically that the, kind of the analytics ma maturity timeline, or if you want to, or, or technical maturity timeline, which is raw data at the bottom, historical analytics at the next layer, predictive analytics, and then you have your prescriptive analytics at the top. First of all, is that an okay, just to try to put it, because we're trying to talk about a visual diagram now here for people that are listening. So am I oversimplifying it? So yeah, I think that's pretty close. I mean, for me, it's basically, you say, historical base, which is the base level of maturity. You're absolutely right. The next bit is basically, how do I go beyond just measuring the, what's happened? It's, it's forecast. Also bringing on semantics. Why did something, you know, it's not just what's going to happen, what's why going to happen. And then the top one is super simple. What am I going to do about it? You know, fundamentally, you say prescriptive, the decision I need to make, you know, because a lot of the time I see is basically we get this great historical view, sometimes not so great, but because <laughs> of data quality and all sorts of things. But that's where it stops. It's like, well, that's great. That doesn't tell me, A, it doesn't tell me why it's happening, you know, and why it's obviously semantics and it's about forecasting, it's about all that sort of stuff, joined together other bits of behavior inside the organization. And then, which is the, the real nirvana, which is exactly what the prescriptive is basically, what do I do about it? What do I do next? My next best action, like, you know, what's, so my, you know, my um, example of going into, you know, a new product launch, you know, and it's obviously very much in the UX world. It's basically how, you know, does, does that product launch make sense? Do I need to, what's my campaign going to be look like? What does that, what, what kind of customers am I going to be? It's, it's, it's those decision points, which really where the value is in, in this. And it's also the hardest thing to get to. You need to break it down into those kind of, that layer, you know, what happened, what does it mean? What do I do about it? That's really the kind of, the kind of split that you know, I, I think about. What was odd to me about the pyramid is that it made me feel like, okay, so my data product either comes in at like kind of level one, top of the pyramid or level four down at the bottom. And it's kind of defined by that. And it, it almost suggests that the product equals a metric or a measurement of some kind, because each measurement you could say falls into prescriptive, predictive, historical, or kind of this raw data kind of, you know, almost no, no, no treatment at all, whatever you want to call that. But from a product perspective, I tend to think about products as having use cases. They have end-to-end -end workflows that may go beyond the scope of a single metric, which may be descriptive, predictive, or prescriptive in nature. The, the human aspect isn't limited to a metric that falls into one of those things. It could be a collection of these things. Or if you think about like an ongoing to tool to help sales reduce churn, like the business goal for the next two years is reduce our churn rate. And so we're attacking that as a as a broad problem. It's and so we have we do have a like a, a main say we have a product or a primary tool decision support tool that we've created for that. It has multiple screens, multiple different metrics, all of this. I would think that the sales team would would perceive the product as being that solution. And so it's like, how does that map onto the data product pyramid if if that solution most likely has a combination of a bunch of different things? It has some root cause analysis. It has some like propensity. These customers are likely to buy, call them first. It has a, a bunch of these different screams. I don't know. Talk to me about how you map those two, or maybe I'm not conceptually getting it. But that was one thing that I was thinking about when I was looking at it. No, it's a great, great observation. And ultimately, the data product pyramid, it's, it's exactly designed to solve that kind of problem space. It's really there to do two things. First, first and foremost, it's there to help business break down the ask. One thing I've seen many, many times is business not actually being able to throw a requirement over to, uh, to a DNA team. Like the one you just said, you know, we want to reduce churn. It's like, well, what does that mean? And actually, what, how do we break that down? How do we, how do we guide the business? Because what will happen is they'll go, a data scientist or a data team will go away, 
and go, well, actually, what's our churn model? What are, what are we actually defining success? How do we do the segmentation? Yeah, all that sort of. There's a load of different business questions that always come about this, but you go back to the business, like, oh, we haven't really thought about that, and you, and you end up backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. The product pyramid is really a decisioning framework for actually breaking that down. So you can say to them, before you build any tech or any code or look at any data, you can go to the business and say, right, you want to reduce churn, right? What does that mean? And what do you need to know to do that? Do you need to understand your fundamentally your historical churn rate? I mean, that's obviously one. That's, that's, that's really easy one. Your product sales, you want to understand your, your cost of servicing. You want to say, yeah, and you're breaking that down. And, and the, the pyramid is really a way of doing that, guiding through the business. So the idea of the pyramid, you go through almost like a paper-based exercise, first of all, and define core you know, prototype products or core product candidates that actually break that down. And you work with the data science team and then say, actually, these, these products actually map to things we can actually deliver. So, yeah, you've, one of them will be a propensity model, fundamentally. So it's like, oh, we know what we know, we know how to build that. So that's that's one particular product. But that's also then built on on metrics, on basically on, you know, on the on, and on data, like you know, looking at the buying patterns, you're looking at the, the click-through rates, you're looking through the abandonment rate, all that stuff, which are, which are metrics which come underneath it. So actually, your ask would be an entire pyramid of different products which all depend on each other and all build it on each other around that. And let's say the way you break them down is by by touching this process. So it's, it is exactly designed to solve that sort of problem you're talking about. Who's well suited to do that work? I need that. I'm a you know, VP of data science and analytics at a large enterprise. That sounds great. We probably could use some more of that. I do hear about this. This problem definition space is not well done, or the assumption is that the requirement given to us is what we're going to make. And then, and then they don't end up using it and there's something's lost in translation. And then it's usually, well, they don't know how to ask for what they want. They really don't know what they want. And then it's that game, it's tennis. Who's got the ball and whose job is it to define what the need is, the problem space? Yes, that's a very good point. So part of the pyramid, um, that I'm working with a colleague of mine, Samuel Gupta, is basically coming up with a value framework, which is really the sort of head of the pyramid. It's basically to say, how do we define what's the highest priority? How do we ask the right question and frame it in the right way? So part of that kind of initial piece where you're defining your product actually is you're defining the value. So for instance, you're, you know, that that question I talked about earlier where you are asking, is, is it, we're going to launch a product in a particular sector. You want to first of all work out, is that the right thing to do? And as it framed in the right way. So fundamentally having it all degree, you know, from a business perspective, um, degreeing what the value framework is. So, you know, is that the right prior, high priority? Is that the right thing to do? Also, are we solving it in the right way from a business and a technical? Because sometimes, you know, you get the, the ask and a data scientist or a data engineer or whatever will go off on a particular technical path and it's got the right one as well. So there's technical framing in there. You know, is it a graph model? Is it a metric? Is it, you know, is it basically that type of stuff? So you need the business frame, you need the business value, first of all, to decide with the, the business. You then need the, the business framing, is it asking the right question in the right way? And then you want the technical framing, which is basically, are we using the right set of you know, technical and data science type methodology? To answer your other question, who does it? Actually, it's a multidisciplinary team. So it's not a data science problem, it's not a business problem, it's not a technology problem, it's not a data engineering problem, it's, it's an everyone problem. And I advocate actually multidiscipline, small multidisciplinary teams which have a business value person in it, have an SME, have a data scientist, have a data architect, data engineer, as a small pod that goes and answers those questions. Because it is a multidisciplinary problem. Who leads and facilitates that? Because there's a gap. A lot of times there's a gap. The one team doesn't know the business side. The business team doesn't care or want to know about how the plumbing is supposed to work. How do you learn how to do this? That's a very, very good question. So something I'm working on again is basically what we, we come up with a name like the sort of data commanders. It's actually a small kind of disciplinary, you know, highly skilled disciplinary force, multidisciplinary force, and actually do this kind of stuff. And it is a, re a reorientation 
to a lot of businesses fundamentally. You know, you, you spin up these virtual kind of pods to solve that particular problem. And I've, I've done this before where you actually have these kind of virtual teams which take, which take people from different parts of the business and spin them up as part of a, a, an initiative to do that. And really, the business needs to transition to that because, like I said, the, the barriers between you know, business and IT and data and stuff are huge in large organizations. It's their problem. It's, my, it's not my problem, that type of stuff. And I think one of the things businesses really need to do is pivot away from that. There's a, I'm, I'm doing a piece of work now, which is a UX kind of driven piece where we're taking dashboard and we're breaking that down into kind of business value metrics and data products, really. And that's, you know, do you need a business person, you need a UX person to talk to the business and actually say, what, you know, what, what's actually valuable to you, that type of stuff. And then data scientists will come and say, actually, this and the models, data engineering will come in and say, actually, we need to get this, this is how we get the data. But it is a multidisciplinary problem, you know, fundamentally. And businesses really need to kind of get to grips with that and actually orientate themselves around that. So fundamentally, you have these kind of these small, these small pods of people, we call them, you know, which can actually be spun up from different parts of the organization to actually solve the problem. Let me try to clarify. I guess what I was asking is, is in terms of a skill set, because in, in my experience, these what I would call a, an ideation session or a, a joint research session or whatever you want to call it, there needs to be a facilitator for that activity in the product space and in the, in the software product world. Typically, that would be something that likely would involve at a minimum a UX researcher and a product manager, or you could call it a data product manager. The goal being there not to, to run it, but you're really there to facilitate getting all the useful information out of all the disparate heads and to get everyone participating in this joint effort together. I'm wondering for teams that don't have dedicated skills around that developed, is that something you go out and develop? Is it something where I've really found that, you know, people with this job title tend to do really well doing this kind of work. It's not a natural thing that I, I, I could see. Everyone gets in the room. We got this joint. We got this cross disciplinary team in there. Why are we here, though? And there's kind of like this vague idea of what the output of this meeting is going to be. And then it's like kind of back to everyone goes and does their own thing. And the data team's ready to go and make something, you know, <laughs> and so the next thing you know, the, the hammers and nails are out and they're off doing the plumbing. And it's like, here we go again. It's it's not one meeting in my experience either. Like when, when we do this in the software world, at least in my experience, this is not one session. It, this is often could be multiple sessions to get the clarity just around defining the problem in words that we all understand and defining success in words that we all understand such that we all can understand when we're making progress. And there should be no surprises at the end. There's no big reveal. It's more like, oh, there it is. I've been waiting for that. It's not like that's not what I meant. So skill set wise, like how what, what's your take on who can do this or how to develop this skill if you don't have this skill in house? Maybe there's politics that need to be dealt with. I don't know, but I, I've heard you've heard analytics translator over the years. I think it's a McKinsey thing. I, I don't care for that title, but I, I think the role that's being performed there is has some real value. And I just had Manav Misra on the show, uh, who's the chief data and analytics officer. He has this data product partner role. You just mentioned data commander. I've heard many, many different job titles sort of for this, but I'm, I'm really interested regardless of the title and that skill set, where, where do you suggest, like someone needs to know how to do this to get this going, you know, even if it, it's a skill that can be taught to someone else, but what, any take on that or anything to share? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is, in my mind, the people have got to be bought into the process. The process has actually got to be basically, this is kind of how we're going to build data products. And that's got to come from the top. You've got to have what we used to call the consulting, the executive hammer. 
you know, from the C-suite, probably the CEO, probably, maybe, you know, or the CEO, that literally board level, this is going to, how we're going to build data products. So, so this, and this is the process and this is, this is, you know, and there's training and there's kind of business chains that had to come into that. If you don't do that, you're going to end up with exactly the problem. Why are we all in this meeting? It's like, this is actually, it's a business change piece of work. Right? And I mean, we're going to orientate the business around the organization around it. Now we're not going to change the structure. We're not going to change the org chart and stuff. And you see a lot of this in the mesh world. You need to kind of completely reorganize. So that's, that's not what it's about. All this is about is now we actually, this is the delivery method. You know, we're going to do this now. So if, you, if the company said, we're going to do agile or we're going to do safe or we're going to do whatever, you know, that sort of thing. This is the same process. You need to sell the process first of all. This is how we're going to do this, for instance, you know. Then you're absolutely right. The kind of, there needs to be a lead. And it's, we've sort of deliberated over this quite a bit. And there are, as you say, titles and stuff. The concept of a data product manager came in and I originally didn't like that. I think it was much more, it seemed to be much more just about organizing teams and getting people to talk to each other and stuff like that. But actually, if you take it to its proper conclusion and take that view from the transactional world, it is a product manager. It's exactly that. It's someone who drives the actual product. And if you take a proper product approach rather than just a kind of intermediate data set approach, that is product management. So that person will actually be driving that whole process. They'll own the, you know, they'll own the product lifecycle. They'll own the, that sort of stuff. So I think if you have organizations who actually appoint those people who are genuinely more from the product side rather than from the data side, because actually if you have a good multidisciplinary team, you don't, they don't need to be fully, you know, data versed. Obviously there are different differences in building data type deliveries rather than kind of transaction deliveries. I totally understand that, but it's a similar sort of thing. Yeah. Driving the product life cycle is still the same, the key role for that. And that's the interface and bringing everyone together and driving the, the delivery, but also driving the use cases, you know, making sure that it's, it's, it's the right, the right prioritization, the right value and that with the value framework, but you need the process and that needs to be from the top. You know, you can't just go in a room and say, we're going to, you know, we're just going to wing it or try and learn it as we go along. You need to actually have that process really not necessarily embedded, but like bought into by the whole organization. And it's got to be driven from the top. There's going to probably need to be some proof of value right before someone's going to adopt a process because most most companies, especially large companies doing this kind of work, are risk averse, like the status quo rules. So it's like I, I'm wondering that first time if you're going to introduce a change like this, someone's going to want to know what's in it for me, what's in it for us. Like, how do we why should we take the risk of doing it this other way? And I would are, are you saying a, a data product manager is the spearhead for, for this uh, initiative? You do need someone with that skill set so yeah i i think so but you know a small plug basically you know that the process i've put together around this you'll get a business value data products in in, in weeks you know fundamentally if you think about kind of the the, the buy-in factor if you look at traditional data programs they can you know it's 12 months 24 months three years five years millions and millions you know whatever currency you, you, you're into without much business value with this process and the process of putting together data product pyramid and this kind of ideation and producing incremental data products as you go, testing that out with the business, you can actually, the first time you do it, it's going to probably going to take two or three months, fundamentally, that sort, of, that, that sort of thing. But you're actually going to get business value data products out of that. You're actually going to be solving business use cases from, from nothing in two or three months. And when you get going, this should be, you know, two, three week kind of cycles, but from ideation all the way into production. That's really the nirvana we want to get to. So if you can demonstrate that by just doing an initial proof of value, you know, going through the process, two, three, four months, you know, we have teams that basically who, who can do this with, with all going to take them through them, this, this whole process. I've been doing it for probably about 10, 10, 12 years. And then you show actually at the back of it, you, you know, not only have you got some technology, but you've actually got some business value products and you're solving the problem, the light bulb will go and it's lower cost. You know, you're not spending, you know, tens of hundreds of millions on, on infrastructure and this type of stuff as well. So that's really where the proof of value comes in. It's be able to deliver those on those data driven, the business use cases, really really quickly 
you had mentioned a UX approach in one of the projects you're working on something. I, w I wanted to ask you, like, where does that fall into this process? Is that part of this initial ideation that you're talking about? And part of the reason I'm asking is because I think from a, especially from a UX research lens, we're really concerned with how do people do this work now when they talk about churn reduction or whatever? We want to fit our solutions into the natural way people do this stuff now and not the hypothetical way. Because we, when we get into this ideation session, we're not talking about magic. Oh my gosh, we're finally going to solve this thing that's been a problem. And it sounds really great there until the status quo kicks in again and reality's back. So one of the ways to, to fight with reality there is not to fight it, but to kind of go along with it. And so if you want them to trust the data, it's like, well, how would you trust it now? And what would you do? Well, I would do this and this, and I want to scan this thing and I want to look at this and maybe I want to filter it by this. And, and well, did they factor in this thing? And did they factor in geography when they did this calculation? Okay. So you want to know what the calculation is based on? Yeah. I would want to see that or else I'm not going to, okay. This is what UX people are doing all the time is to understand this. So when the solution comes out, everyone says, oh, it's so intuitive and obvious. Like I could have done that. And that's usually a sign the design was done really well when it seems so obvious to everybody that it doesn't even seem special at all. But arriving at that is is really hard and, and understanding the actual context of use and things that may not come out in a group session, but individually you find out like I'm not sticking my neck out here or I would never put this in a presentation because X that did not come out in the ideation session. But in a one on one research setting, it is something that comes out. Is this part of the solution at all or like where, where does ux play a role in this process or are they coming in later and really working on the visualization piece only what's your experience there or just any opinions that you may have about that no it's a great it's a great part i think it's actually part and parcel fundamentally being able to actually present so when you're when you're ideating with data pro the, the business problem part of it is actually delivering the analytic delivering the the insight the the the, the scientific kind of mathematical kind of data sets and all that sort of stuff but part of it's actually the storytelling and be able to present it back to the business and that is super super important what you don't want to do is as you said is basically do a you know a piece up front you go away for six months build a platform and come come back and go, that's you know those numbers don't work and that's not what i mean and just give me the export to excel button which has been the bane of my life and lots of data driven <laughs> ux projects as yeah. you probably all know you know so the idea is that you're actually building the data products, which are the kind of, you think of the back end, but you're actually then also, you're, you're doing UX alongside that, you know, fundamentally, but you're doing it in, in tandem. So actually you could do it, you know, it's like a wireframe piece and then actually connect that up. You're using a nice prototyping solution tool that you actually get up to the actual real data, you know, as the, and the products and the, and the UX would actually get from sort of coarse grain to fine grain as you go through it. So actually you can present real data back to the users as part of your visualization. So I see them actually working, not side by side, but joint. It's a, Part of the discipline of the multidisciplinary team, the actual that storytelling. So obviously your your business artist is talking to a you know a head of sales from a very large organization, they're not really interested in like let me hit that web service for that metro. You know, it's like how do I actually then present that back? You know, and, and also your your you might have different personas for those that are asked, your churn model, right? For instance, the head of sales might not want to understand all the different segmentation stuff. Like, well, what does this mean for my for my sales team? Well, like my sales process and you know, but then your marketing might say, actually, we want to start a different view of that. So, you, want to, you know, so you might have different personas in that and you might have different sort of products to go to the different personas under that whole umbrella. So it's absolutely part and parcel. The, the missing piece for me around, I mean, I've done a lot of UX and I, I love the processes. They're, they're, you know, when you're doing, you know, wireframe research and this kind of stuff, having not having that immediate feedback around if it's possible with the data and that sort of stuff, it's, it's, it's a, bit of, a little bit of a gap. You can actually spend quite a bit of time doing, you know, really good research, come up with a great solution and 
if the data doesn't support it or is not able to, or it's not feasible, that kind of stuff, you can spend a lot, a lot of time trying to go, go and do that. So you get this great initial piece around the visualization and the design, but then you might get six, 12 months or sometimes even not at all because you can't actually connect to the, to the rest of the organization. I think growing those two things in lockstep is absolutely the, the, the key for me. You're saying that you, you've been part of solutions where there was, I don't know if you meant heavy user experience involvement, there was good research and design it was done in a vacuum. They created a aspirational data product that was not technically realizable in any short amount of time. So it wasn't feasible. So you get people in this mindset, like, look what's coming. It's like, yeah, not really. It's not really ever coming. Like it's that's, that's five, 10 years of, of work, you know, no way. So what happened there and how did, what needs to change in that model? Maybe tell me about that. What was the org model or what was the relationship there? Why, why did that happen? How do you counter that so that doesn't happen? Because that we don't want that either. That, that just makes UX is just a waste of time. Just like It's just like building architecture and, and plumbing that never gets used to build any type of last mile service. It's just as bad, right? It's just going through the exercise. So tell me about how do we prevent that? Absolutely. And it was and it was more than one use case this happened, actually. It was, you know, when I was working in banking, this used to happen quite a lot because obviously banking infrastructure is very, you know, it's very complex, there's a lot of complex processes and this kind of stuff. Some of it's very legacy, you know, sometimes you've got 40-year-old mainframes, that type of stuff. So the, happened, the first time it happened, it was a, a very large bank and exactly what you just said. They, they, the, the team went in, did this fantastic UX process. They've got these, you know, these amazing kind of reactive, personalized dashboards that get risk metrics to the risk officers and, you know, what do I need to know now rather than just, you know, what, what's happening, go very much going to that kind of knowledge and decision-based stuff. And it was brilliant. And, um, you know, it looked, it looked amazing. It was, you know, the visual design was fantastic and it kind of really, and the information architecture was really nice. They went to the head of IT and he said, well, give me a billion euro and I'll, um, I'll, I'll make the rest of it for you. You know, and it was literally that kind of, you know, to get the data across a complex IT estate and build it into their kind of real time, lots of back to that stuff. But it, it was, obviously he was, he was, you know, he was um, paraphrased, didn't do a proper estimate, but it was that kind of, problem you know it was it was ideated as you said in kind of in um with the business aspirational that type of stuff and i've seen that a number of times so for me the kind of light bulb moment was actually can we do that actually but with the data it doesn't have to be like you know a production level you know operationalized kind of products and stuff but can we ideate that as they go so you know part of not just ux but data and analytics you know, see how many models don't get put in production all this kind of stuff it's a feasibility question around it fundamentally, you know, and a commercial feasibility, not just can we do it, is it commercially viable to do it? And if you can bake that into kind of that ideation piece where you can do the equivalent of analytics for what you do with UX, you know, coarse grain wireframes, you know, it doesn't have to be super accurate, but you know how far, you know, if it's going to be feasible, if it's, if it's, or if it's how far away you are from the business value, that you're getting that, get, capturing that data and that sort of stuff, then at least you're, you know, you know, you're not spending lots of money or, or, or you, even worse, promising the business something that never comes. And, and the upshot was basically of this was um, yeah they scrabbled around for twelve months trying to push stuff into this kind of this funnel database they tried grabbing data out from everywhere it was you know smoke and mirrors sticky back plastic you know wire for you know bits of string and didn't really didn't really work and the business lost face in it because it, it was too slow it, the data wasn't good enough quality you know all that kind of robustness wasn't there fundamentally. This is what product management in the software world does because feasibility is one of the the stools it's one of the legs of the stools. Like there has to be market need and your market just may be the sales team, but you, there needs to be some promise of value there that, that this person is, is really responsible for at the end of the day. Is this data product going to create value or not? I need to be attuned to what value even means in the eyes of my customers and users. 
the user experience piece is about making sure the users will actually use this thing. It's usable, it's useful, it fits into their context, all of the, the, the human factors piece. And the technical piece is to make sure, is this feasible? Can we actually make this promise of value in, in some amount of time that's realistic and it's gonna have all the checks on security and governance and all those kinds of things that are important as well? That trio is really critical and it sounds to me like there was not a product management representation there or someone with that that ownership of the value because it should have been caught early that we're not getting check-in with the technical team to make sure that the these mock-ups and this new quote application this risk application or whatever it was is actually buildable in some amount of time uh, it sounded like a, a boil the ocean kind of project is that what happened there was no like data product management oversight of this there was no single point of contact, no single point of responsibility for the, the value? For the end-to-end -end piece, I think that's right. It was very much a UX-driven piece, which is, you know, which, which, which happens. But also, I think the other thing about data product, products and projects themselves, sometimes you don't know how, how feasible it is because you don't, until you actually look at the data. And this, and this data science is perceived with this kind of problem, right? You know, unless it's all nicely curated inside your data platform, which let's be clear, you know, in large organizations, like 20%, if you're lucky is, but you still need to gather it from different parts of the organization. You don't know, you fundamentally don't know until you, you know, you've got to do what we call data archeology. span You've got to go and find the data, you've got to brush it off and you've got to look at it and go, oh, is that, is that, is it complete? Is it all that sort of stuff? Because if you did it on just the data that was well, well curated, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do anything, you couldn't do anything. Just say that's such a narrow band for my use cases. So a lot of the time you have to go, you know, almost take a leap of faith, say, we're going to try this out, and we just go and go and get the data. And you look, you know, you still look at, you know, data science and even dashboarding project, you know, MI project, you know, 60, 70% of it's data rank, trying to find the source and data, trying to clean it, trying to, you know, even to this day, and I was talking about this 10 years ago, it's still a lot of that in large and large organizations. So, so you need a way of basically doing that process, but doing it quickly and tying it, not, um, not independently, but tying it to the business process, the actual the UX, the, the business value and doing those things together quickly. So, you know, very quickly without lots of cost, whether it is feasible, whether the data is good enough, that type of stuff. And that's, again, that's, that's the bit for me that's, that's really missing. John, this has been a great conversation. I, I just want to ask you, is there anything I didn't ask you about data products today that you'd like to share that you think I should have asked you about? I guess the, for me, the, the, we talk, focus a lot on kind of the, on the data product kind of delivery and kind of what it is. We, we, uh, I think for me, the business framing and the, the technical framing is, I think, really super important. Getting the business to ask the thing in the right way did a project um, a, a couple of years ago where they were doing a, a transport rerouting system and they, they were trying to do a use genetic algorithms to try and reroute trains and it wasn't working, it was expensive and stuff because one, they were asking the wrong question. They were saying actually the the point to point question in terms of um, geospatial is, you know, they don't care about it. It's about where the trains come to platforms and also you're using the wrong technology, the wrong approach and that kind of stuff. So I think for me, that business value and that business framing and technical framing is actually one of the, the one of the biggest problems in our, in our industry. You see data scientists jumping into deep learning and this kind of stuff. And I've just written a blog about this, but you can take a step back. Let me understand the business problem, first of all. Let's really get the data teams to kind of be much more kind of business orientated. And they're not all going to be SMEs because, you know, that's, that's impossible. And that's why you need that kind of that close alignment between the data teams and the business teams. And really the only way you get that is by having these multidisciplinary things rather than this kind of, you know, these, these fences that sit, that sit between them, which is, which is unfortunate. So I think for me, that's, that is almost like the first point. How do we get those together to actually solve the business problem? Sure, sure. No, I mean, it, it, that has to be clear. And <laughs> I've heard a similar thing. It's like, no, our goal is actually not to build a rerouting algorithm. Our goal is to get the trains to appear at the platforms at the time that was written in the schedule, to do that better than we're doing it now. And then the question would be, well, how are we doing it now? 
and how much better do we need to get it? And then maybe a rerouting algorithm is maybe the right way to approach that. And then you can argue about it until you're you know blue in the face about the right way to do it. But I agree a lot. Of, a lot of these big these big enterprise projects go off because we've lost sight of the fact we just want the trains to show up at the platform more accurately at the time advertised. That is the only thing that really matters at the end of the day. How do we do that? That's the thing we should be all be owning that thing, because if we do that, then we get the value. We get more customers or we make the public happier. Or we reduce whatever pollution or I don't know whatever people smoking on the platform because they can't smoke in the train, whatever, our, you know, whatever the outcomes are that we want. Right. So <laughs> I, uh, absolutely. That's, that's <laughs> very well put. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. Cool. Where can people uh, stay in touch with what's the best, what's the best way to uh, get in touch with John Cook? So you can do um, John Cook at dataception.com or follow me on LinkedIn or you know, go for my website, dataception.com. There's a number of channels. Excellent. Excellent. Well, John, thanks for uh, coming on, uh, experiencing data to talk about data products. No worries. That's, thank you so much for having me. It's been, been an absolute blast. So really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag experiencing data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.